Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is God. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. His love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. His love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. Shion, king of the Amorites. His love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His love endures forever, and gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever, an inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever, and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Now, obviously, being new to to uh, New York City, part of my getting to know the area is walking around, miles and miles of walking. And one of the things that I've noticed as I've walked around Manhattan is all the memorials that are here, 96 in all. I didn't see them all, but I saw a lot of them. Have you ever thought much about why there are so many memorials, not just here in New York City, but in our country and in the world. We live in an age where everything seems fleeting, temporary and transient, and yet we want some things to last. We want people and places and things that are important to us to last. This is a deep desire, and it is not new to us. In fact, in the 9-11 Museum, there's a quote by Virgil on a wall memorial to all those who lost their lives on 9-11. It says, no day shall erase you from the memory of time. And that's a a beautiful thought. But the truth is, a hundred years from now, for most of us, no one will even remember our names, much less anything about our lives. 
if we were together, I could do this experiment. Maybe you can do this from home. Who here can name, full name, not just uh, the first name and the last name, but the full name of all their grandparents, all four of them? Can you tell us about their hopes and their dreams and their lives? The truth is, it just doesn't take long, and we are forgotten. Here on this planet, no one, no place, and no thing last very long. But why do we want something to last? Why do we work so hard to have a legacy? Why do we have these kinds of memorials? I believe this desire of ours to have things that last, that that are meaningful to us, is what makes us human. It's innate in humanity. It's the way we are hardwired. The Bible puts it this way. God has placed eternity in our hearts. We were simply just made this way, to seek something that lasts. Our text this morning talks about something that lasts. Psalm 136 was written and used in worship in ancient Israel. It literally was a hymn that was sung. The leader would sing the first part of the verse, and then the congregation would respond by singing the second part that is written, His love endures forever. For a few moments this morning, I want us to think about God's love for us. I want us to ask and then answer three questions about God's love, his forever love. Even as some of you may have your doubts. Okay, what is it? What is this forever love of God's? Secondly, will it last? And then third, what difference does it make? If I believe this, if I take this in, what difference will it make in my life? So first, what is it? Do you remember Tina Turner's old song that goes, what's love got to do with it? She goes on and she says, don't you know it's a secondhand emotion? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? She's making this point that love doesn't really matter. It's just an emotion. And she's getting at something that's really important to us to think about today, and that is the, the problem with defining love is how we modern people love one another and the way in which we've been loved. Human love, our experience with it at least, has been fickle at best. It's temporary. It's too often transactional. We fall into love and then we fall out of love. Our love is a lot like the dog in Up. You know, the dog who's there with you, he's focused, he's leading, he's part of the pack, but then something runs across and squirrel, he loses his attention span. We are in love until we are not in love anymore. God's love is not like that. The psalm repeats 26 times that his love endures, it lasts. Why repeat it so much? It reminds me of Martin Luther's commentary that he wrote to the Galatians. 
You see, Martin Luther lived over 500 years ago, and in his introduction to the Gala- the, his commentary on the letter to the Galatians, he answers the question, why do I repeat the gospel of God's love to my people every Sunday? He says, because my people forget it every week. God knows. Not only will we try to redefine his love in our with our own fleeting, fickle, transactional, and temporary love. But we, we tend to love the way, and we think about his love the way we love. This is why he repeats it and why we need to be reminded of it. God's love endures forever. It lasts, it never fails, no matter what. The psalm writer draws this distinction not by talking about our feeling love. That would be crazy to spend all the time on the ways in which our love fails. And quite frankly, we already know it. But he talks about God's forever love. He reminds us how he has loved us in the past. This psalm is a history lesson on God's faithful love for his people walk through the psalm with me. You see, he starts out and he he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then he goes on and beginning in verse 5, he begins talking about creation. So in history, he, he, he demonstrates how he's loved us by creating everything that is. And if you go back to Genesis 1 where this is recorded, we see that seven times he says that his creation is good. It is good, it is good as it is good, and in the seventh time, it is very good. And so the opening words of Psalm 136 is to remind us that his love is the reason that all that we see, all that we enjoy, all that there is, that he created it because it was good and he loved it and loves it even today. But then he goes on from creation. Creation runs from verse 5 all the way to verse 9. He begins in verse 10, and he talks about how his people uh, go into Egypt and become slaves and for 400 years as slaves to the Egyptians that he has to rescue them and redeem them and even has to kill the firstborn of every uh, Egyptian uh, family just so Pharaoh will let them go out into the wilderness And even that is a demonstration of his love for his people, even after 400 years of their disobedience in order to save them and bring them. And that runs all the way uh, to uh, uh, verse 16, where he says that he leads them out into the wilderness. And then in verse 17, he goes on and talks about his love as the result of giving them a promised land, a place that was meant to be their own, as they become a a demonstration and a witness to the world of God's love for his people. And that runs from verse 17 through verse 22. And then he talks about the exile and their return in verses 23 and 24. This is all of Israel's history. And then he brings it into the present. He says he gives in verse 25, he gives food to every creature, and then he returns to the theme of give thanks. This is a demonstration that you can't divorce what love is from what love does. Throughout Scripture, God is not just simply saying, I love you, and he does that 
over and over again, but he also demonstrates that love. In Ezekiel 16, this is uh, during Ezekiel's prophecy of Israel going in uh, to exile to Babylon. And, and so some of the many of the leaders have already gone into exile, including the king of Israel, but many are left in Judah. And so he's speaking to them about their exile. And God says in Ezekiel 16 that you are like a child that was left out to die. And then he says, and, and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love and I spread my corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into the covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. You can imagine if your leaders of your country are gone and the threat uh, of an annihilation of your own or, or at least exile of all the people. You're wondering where God's love is for us. And he says, I saw you in your own blood and I made you mine. In John three sixteen, the one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave the most important and most glorified being in the cosmos, his own son. Why? In order that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 5.8, Paul writes that, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our psalm here, uh, 136. It's the Old Testament version or equivalent to Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, where Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The truth is there is never a moment in your life, in my life, in this world, we are not where we are not under the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is never a time where we are not the objects of God's affection. Even in our worst moments. Michael Card wrote a song decades ago that has this line that I love, God cannot love you more and will not love you less. Think about this just for a minute. Just let that come in. God cannot love you more, and he will not love you less. If that's what it is, God's unfailing, unending, forever love will it last for me. Knowing who I am and the things that I have done, the the, the times that I was not faithful, the times that I have failed, my weaknesses, can God still love me with that kind of forever love? Or is that only for the super saints? Is that only for people who are great, those who don't seem to have the problems that I have? Let me ask it this way. How bad do you have to be before God stops loving you? At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them. 
which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Sure, many people will say, sure, God loves me. That's his job. But many of us don't live that way. Deep down in, in the crevices of our hearts, we're just not sure. We have doubts whether he truly loves us. And if we're sure he loves us, maybe he just doesn't like us. Is he just putting up with us until he no longer does? Especially when you consider all the things that I have done. This is where I love the characters in the Bible, not because they are the super saints, not because they're the heroes of faith, the way that they have often been taught to us in uh, church. But they are people just like us. They are the unlovables who are loved. They're the island of misfit toys who have found home with God. Take Abraham, great example of a, a man who God builds a whole nation around, who gives a, a single promise of a single child that will be the father of many nations that all the nations themselves will be blessed through. We find him in, when the push comes to shove, when it, he has to be honest, when he's afraid, he tells his wife, Sarah, don't tell people you're my wife. It won't go well for me. Tell them you're my sister and I'll survive. And he doesn't do it once, but he does it twice. Or David, David, the the king that Israel has been longing for. They had Saul, and now they have David. And David's the anointed. And after he had been running for so long, God uh, installs him as the king, and he goes about unifying the land and bringing the people together and collecting all the stuff that is necessary for building the temple. And and it's David, when, when he sends out his army, he stays back, and he really should have been with him, but he wasn't, and he stayed back, and he's up on top of his roof, and obviously he must have the largest penthouse in uh, the city because he's able to look down on all of his subjects, including this one woman who is married to one of his soldiers. Her, her name is Bathsheba, and he sees her, and she's beautiful, and, and so he decides that he's going uh, to bring her over to his palace and entrap her and, and seduce her, and she comes over, and they have the, an affair. Now, if this story was told today with all the Me Too movement, nobody would say that David had an affair with Bathsheba. That would be too nice of what happened. David is in the power of being the king, the ruler. His word literally is law. Bathsheba has no recourse to say no, no no platform or ability uh, to, uh, to say no. Her husband's very life is at, in the hands of the king. And so we would say at, at best it's sexual harassment and at worst it's, it's rape. 
But not only does he take advantage of Bathsheba, but he covers it up because she becomes pregnant by having Uriah put in front of the battle so that he can die. And so David, who is this great uh, uh, symbol of the monarchy under God, is also an adulterer, a rapist, a murderer. But then in Scripture, there's also Peter in, in the New Testament who uh, follows Jesus. He's one of the early followers. He, he's the inner group of the twelve, and then he's in the three. And ultimately, uh, God, uh, uh, Jesus says that you're, you're going to do great things, but when the moment comes when someone asks him, are you a follower of Jesus? Not once, not twice, but three times, says, no, not me. I'm, I, I don't know the man. And yet, he becomes one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church. He's obviously a leader by Acts 15 of the church there in Jerusalem. But then there's Paul, the greatest missionary the church has ever known. He didn't start that way. Paul, when he was Saul, was the persecutor of the church. He literally murdered and took away children away from their parents. And yet he uh, meets Christ and, and discovers the love of God for him and it changes everything about him to where half of the New Testament is written by this man. Then there's me and I've got my own failures. I've been such a fraud in the, in the past. I have let the Lord down and yet over and over again he's demonstrated his love to me. And I'm sure you've got your own stories of God's, your failure and and God's love. And if you don't, let's spend some time together and talk about it and listen uh, to this message of how much God loves you. The Bible shows us, not only tells us, but shows us His love, especially for the broken. God's greatness is most clearly seen when His grace is shown through the most broken people in history and in the present. The Bible is not so much a collection of stories about extraordinary people, but the people are just like us, failures and all. We try so hard to hide our weaknesses and failures. That's what shame does. Shame is what tells us that no one can love you. You're unlovable. There's no way you should be in church. There's no way that God can accept you. The super saints, yes, but not you. Never you. But the gospel comes along and says, why are you hiding? You are exhibit A of the type of person that God loves. It reminds me of something that Anne Lamott wrote that I think is very helpful She's the one who said, it's okay to realize that you are crazy and damaged because all the best people are. When I read that, I think, great, finally someone gets me. I am crazy and damaged, just like the best people. So why does God love us like this? Why does it last? Because his love is not conditioned upon our faithfulness. This is the key of the gospel, that God's love doesn't rest on our deeds, but upon the faithfulness of his own son. God loves us because he loves Jesus, his son. 
because Jesus died for us on a cross, God would never stain or shame what he did that day by not loving us, the recipients, those people for whom Christ died on the cross. This is what George Matherson was getting at in his poem that became a great hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. He says, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thy ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. The only way you could say that is he's been enthralled by the love of God for him, not because he's been great, but because God is good. God's love is forever because it's not built on our transactional, temporary, frail love, but on his love for his son. Simply put, he loves us because he loves Jesus. And that love can never fail or fade. It only lasts forever. His love endures forever. Which brings us to the last question. What difference does it make? If you understand this love, if I understand this love, if we really understand it, if we really experience it, it changes everything for us. And so how do we get this kind of understanding where the penny drops, where we, under, we take it all the way in and we're enthralled by that love and that we don't doubt it anymore? Well, there are three things that we can do. And the first we are to remember, this whole psalm is a reminder of God's love demonstrated throughout Israel's history. Do you remember Elizabeth Barrett Browning's a famous poem, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. Psalm 136 counts the ways that God loves his people. 26 times the writer says, God's love endures forever. Learn and remind yourself of the ways in which God has loved you. Write it down every day, just one way in which God loves you today. The entire Bible is a communication of how God has and continues to love us. This is what we do in worship. This is what we're doing right now. Every Sunday, we gather together to remind our, each other of God's forever love for us and for everyone else out there that needs to hear how much and how God has loved us. Secondly, not only do we remember but we rest in his love. We sit in it, we think about it, and we trust it. Do you remember the folk hymn that was written during the Second Great Awakening? That We don't know who the author is, but we still sing this hymn today. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, that causes the Lord of bliss to send his precious peace for my soul. What's that hymn writer doing? He's remembering what wondrous love is this? He's thinking about all the ways in which he is loved. And then he rests in it. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. That caused the Lord of bliss to send his precious peace for my soul. We Christians live such schizophrenic lives. We talk about God's love, but we live as though he barely puts up with us. 
Do you know what the most common repeated uh, uh, command in Scripture is? Do not fear. The reason God has that over and over again in the Bible is because we are afraid. We are afraid that he loves us, but only until we cross that whatever line God has and then he loves us no more. Stop fretting. Rest in his love as an object of his affection. That's what Zephaniah 3 is getting at when he says, God rejoices over you. Think about this for a moment. God in heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, rejoices over you. He will quiet you by his love. He rejoices over you with loud singing. Do you ever think that your God is singing right now? And he's singing over you. About you. God doesn't put up with you. He loves you. And the proof is in the historical fact that he sent love himself, Jesus Christ, into this world to make you, to make me his own. So one way we we begin to take this truth into our hearts is we remember. And then secondly, we rest on his love. And then third, we respond. We talked about earlier part of responding is worship, but also we tell others, we share what we are enthralled by. It's what it means to be human, to share what we are moved by to others. We want everyone to be enthralled by what we are enthralled. If we're excited about a movie or a restaurant or some piece of music or some piece of art, we tell everyone. We want everyone to enjoy it because we know we've enjoyed it. But why don't we do that with God's love? Why is it so hard for Christians to tell others about God's forever love? It may mean that it hasn't moved us enough yet. It may mean we don't yet fully appreciate, we haven't been fully enthralled by his love. Getting people to share God's love with others is not about guilt or duty or obedience. Those won't last. They won't allow us to overcome when people say, no, I don't want to hear anything about God's love. But remembering and resting and responding, that changes us. We get so enthralled by it. It invades every conversation, everything about our lives. Even our vision at LSQ gets at this. To joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. How will this happen? Only by being captured and enthralled by God's love for us, ourselves. And then as we are captured and enthralled by God's love for us, we tell our city. We demonstrate it to the city, both in word and deed. That's what compels us to share what excites us so that the whole world might know that his love endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your unending, enduring love for us. We thank you that you have demonstrated it over and over again, both in history 
and in our lives. Even to the present, we are facing terrible things going on in our, in our world right now. For the men, women, and children of Afghanistan, particularly the women and children, we are just fearful of what's happening to them right now. And we're afraid that we've abandoned years of commitment. The pictures we see are so uh, disconcerting on, on uh, television or on our computers. Or we hear about the earthquake in Haiti and so many people are homeless and without drinking water. And that just concerns our hearts and they're so heavy uh, uh, and burdened with those people. And right here at home, even as the hurricane is off our shore, bringing torrential rains right here in the Northeast. We pray, Heavenly Father, you protect and comfort and draw close. But most of all, that through all this, we might know that you love us. It doesn't disprove your love that these things are going on. In fact, it proves this is not the way it was, it was meant to be and that you have come to do something about it and make all things new where we don't have uh, uh, countries failing and we don't have hurricanes and we don't have earthquakes and every uh, tear is wiped away and we are brought home into the one who truly loves us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.